Welcome to your June 2010 edition of Voices of Experience. I'm your host, Jarrett Bro. Our theme this year is Imagine. And in the next hour, our goal is to open your mind to the endless possibilities that await you and your speaking career. This month on A Category of One, Joe Calloway talks with one NSA member who listens to every speaker more carefully than anyone else in the room, I promise. On Ones to Watch with Jane Atkinson, she speaks to a relative newcomer to speaking who focuses on innovation as a competitive advantage. But first this month, I go backstage with an NSA duo that thrills the crowd every time. I'm talking with the legendary jugglers John Wee and Owen Morse of The Passing Zone, two guys synonymous with juggling everything from sharp sickles to chainsaws. And if you're a creature of habit and you like your VOE in the same order every month, we're about to interrupt the flow, kids. That's right, as we give you a double dose of The Passing Zone, first visiting with them backstage, then sharing with you their rendition of The Starfish Story. This is so I cool. I love this part of this the show. This is awesome. Here. Yeah, here we oh go. Oh my gosh. Now we're talking. Check out these yes. bad boys. Check it out. Oh man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we just right. got these on eBay. All so right. So it's pretty sweet. Now, Nito, you're going to see some sickles whizzing, whizzing in, in front, front of, of your, your face. face at lightning speed. Your first reaction might be to move backwards. <laughs> that's right. Don't, Don't do it. it. All right. No, no, no that's a bad idea. Because they're more behind your All face. Right, so they're they're front and back flying by. If you move, it could hit you. You might die. Hold very, very steady. So here we go, risking Nito's life. Yeah, we've been working together now for 21 years. But it feels like more like 20. That's the nice thing. Yeah, the it, freshness. It's just that, still there. Yeah, that, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been. You'd, you'd think we'd be a lot better by now. Yeah, but. with all that practice <laughs> and effort. But uh, someday. 21 years. Yeah, longer than we've each been married. That's. Yeah. It's kind of like a marriage without the good parts. Right, mostly yeah. the bad parts. <laughs> so, so if you're listening at home or driving into the car, and as I always say every month, if you're driving in the car, look out! But if you're driving in the car or listening at home right now, the whole idea of you two finishing each other's sentences, when, all right, in life there are certain times when you run into your soulmates. Uh, my spouse is my soulmate. Uh, I've had one or two videographers in my TV career who are soulmates. You guys seem like your soulmates. Is that a fair observation? You can start and finish each other's sentences? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this together so long that you know, even my wife calls herself my second wife because Owen came along first. I've seen but, him in tights. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot there. But, uh, but yeah, we you know we we've been doing it for so long, and it it just wouldn't work for this amount of time if something didn't click. And we got lucky; we barely yeah. knew each other when we teamed up. That's the one thing. Yeah, we met in 1986, and uh, yeah, we we had similar interests in juggling and in comedy, and we're around the same age. And uh, we thought maybe this will work, and let's give it a try. Yeah, let's throw it together, see what happens. And yeah. 21 years later, we're we're still here. Yeah, and, and I guess you know one of the things that uh, several people have mentioned is one of you is attractive and the other one's smart, and that kind yeah. of right. uh -huh. uh, works. Uh -huh. And right. I'm I'm 
Well, yeah, I'm one of those. But moving on. <laughs> Let's, or let's, one of us is both, and the other is neither. Right. I mean, but somehow combined, we'll let the audience decide. We've got both. Look, looking, looking at what you do and applying it to other speakers. You know, one of the great advantages that you have is you don't have a starfish story per se that someone's going to steal. It's pretty hard to steal your bit. Yeah. I, so I think the takeaway uh, or the steal here would be for the audience to maybe get some insight into how much do you practice? Because I know listening to to other coaches over the years, one of the things they've talked about is the importance of practicing. We're too busy performing sometimes that we don't practice. Which practice life like for you guys? Well, for, for the juggling itself, you know, it, it depends a little bit on when we're working on new things. And lately, we have been working on a lot of new stuff. So when we're home, we try to get together a few days a week for maybe two to three hours a day uh, practicing together. And then on those off days when we're home, we're practicing for an hour or so individually as well. And, and there's a, a huge amount that goes into that. But then just in preparation for our keynote the other day, you know, we, we wrote the whole message and everything just for this NSA crowd. And, you know, we, we, the thing about being a team is, you know, an individual can have an idea and say, well, this is about what I'm going to say when I walk out there. But as a team, we have to decide ahead of time who's going to say what, when, and how we're going to, how it's going to work. So, right. so even though a lot of it's ad libbed, it still has to be pretty well prepared as to where the beats are and who's yeah. going to do what. You definitely need a roadmap to know. Okay, this is this is what's going to be said when or something like it. So you, uh, you give the other guy a heads up, which I think is quite unique in in the speaking world. Uh, there are not a lot of two-man or two-person speaking teams out there. So tell we, we tell me about have... the syncopation of, of how the syncopation of start a sentence, finish a sentence happened. Was it something that happened organically during practice when you first started working together? I, a lot of it did. You know, I mean, it, it t- we started off doing fairs and festivals where we were doing six or eight shows a day, and that sort of thing happens fast where you know something doesn't go right or something does go right, and a half an hour later you have another show. You can incorporate what happened the last time immediately and make changes, and by the end of the day the show is different than at the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. And so we just cranked out as many shows as we could in these fairs and festivals, and so that, that's kind of where that initially developed really quickly. So it's almost a street smart, street performer kind of thing that you've now captured for primary main stage audiences. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. And you learn fast as a street performer. Yeah. You know, if you're no good, people walk away or they don't put any money in your hat and you learn really fast whether you're any good or not. I noticed no one put money in your hat. Well, you don't even have the hat out anymore. Apparently we're not so good. Let's let's talk since we're on uh, transitioning so smoothly here to money in the hat. Uh, how do you guys stay booked uh, at the level at which you stay booked? Well, yeah, that, that's that's the tricky, you know, that's the million-dollar question. And especially these days, it's been more challenging, as as I think it has been for everybody. Even you're seeing that? Oh, yeah. Certainly. Have Definitely. you thought of laying off one of your partners? We thought yeah, about it. We, we I've thought straws, about it. Actually, that's how we're... I yeah. daily right. wrestle with that. <laughs> think and, about uh, if I had, yeah. Yeah. If we didn't have to split the money, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but then the clubs don't come back as nicely when you throw them. So. Yeah, across yeah. the stage. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so but uh, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a challenge, and it's especially. I mean, it, if you haven't seen what we do, booking a juggling act for a corporate event 
is a tricky sell. You know, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of bureaus and agents and people that we work with who who really, you know, they're like, "How do we sell you guys?" Or as right. soon as as soon as we said, "Hey, we got this great idea," it's a juggling act. The client says, "Eh." We actually call it the J word. It's, yeah, it's the uh, kiss of try, death. try not to say the J word because yeah. as soon as people hear juggling, they just think, uh, uh, "No, that's not what we're looking for." Everybody has a preconceived notion of what a juggler is, and it's it's not us. But uh, yeah, and then they see the video or they see the show, and they go, "Oh, yeah, no, that would be yeah, great." They're, they're, yeah, that's that's different. So for us, we really just the more people who can see us, or the more people who we can sit down in front of the video, you know, right. that's that's what sells us. Because certainly the idea of of juggling is well and that's the other thing i don't think it's ever happened where a client has called a speaker's bureau and said what i really need is a juggling act those words have never been spoken no so (laughs) so so it's really i mean we have to have good relationships with bureaus and agents and corporate production companies and everything and and they have to be the ones who really say hey we know what you're looking for and it's these guys and they're fantastic and you know that and 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 it's always watch the video it's called show business right yep and tell us about the business side because you guys appear to have the showmanship down pretty darn good but yeah, business is is half of it, at least half of it. Yeah, in fact, the word business is twice as long as the word show. Right. So we want sh- therefore mathematically, you should put twice as much effort into the business. <laughs> That's what we're saying. I think I yeah. think it goes down to that. Yeah. No, it's it's a huge part of it, and there are so many artists who are fantastic at what they do, but they you know if you're not good at at marketing and packaging and relationships and all of that, you know you're you're just going to come up short because there are a lot of people, even people who aren't all that good who do a fantastic job of marketing, and they're still somehow going to come out ahead. Okay, so so on the marketing front, uh, if you can't use the J word, right. how do you market? Well, you, uh, you, you say you're, you, you compare yourselves to the Smothers Brothers, or you compare yourselves to Penn and Teller, and people can sort of get the idea that you're you're not going to see the Smothers Brothers because you like folk music, and you're not seeing Penn and Teller because you're particularly fond of magic. But you you appreciate what those those artists it's do the comedy and the attitude and the relationships and all of that. So yeah, those those are pretty good comparisons. And really, you know, what what we offer to an event is energy, excitement, fun, and and off just because of the nature of what we do, it's teamwork and trust right. and cooperation and all of that is just a really natural. Uh, metaphor for what everybody is trying to do in their lives and in their business. So, right. you know, it's it's a it's a really nice image, and people people get that, but it mm-hmm. take, they don't see it right away until right. you explain that to them, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, that's right. That is what we're doing." And for us, we have a unique situation where we have rather one than one person up there on stage talking about teamwork. We have two people demonstrating it and talking about it, and so I think that's a, a powerful difference. A couple of years ago, you were on this TV show, America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did that do for the career, if anything? It, you know, it, it helped, but it maybe didn't help as much as one might think with national television exposure. We, we definitely took a big risk doing it because we didn't know what the show, you know, it was the first season. It had never been on, so we didn't know what it was. But we heard it was like American Idol for variety acts. And we thought, well, there, we, that's where we want to be. Yeah. And uh, but it did turn out to be where they were trying to sell it a little more like here's amateur talent that we discovered and you know so it 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 was an interesting experience because a lot of people looked at us and said what the heck are you doing on this show you know aren't you 
past this already. Yeah. Well, well, all right. So you used amateur talent. Uh, how long has this uh, little gig been evolving for you guys? Twenty-one years. Yeah, twenty-one years yeah. of amateur talent. And uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> hey, see, it only takes seventeen, eighteen years to make it. Kids. Still right. trying to make right. it go. Yeah, yeah. so Ten more years. When me. you have Hasselhoff, you know, judging your talent abilities, yeah. that's a I've got a question here. Uh, Would you have yeah. rather had someone else from the Baywatch uh, cast, perhaps? Just about anyone yeah. from the Baywatch cast so. would be, uh, I think, more better. Effective. Yeah. <laughs> In your act, you've now incorporated segues and you kind of even hint at the idea that one day you may be too old and irrelevant to do this and now we've got the uh, the John 6000 and of course the Owen 9000 which right. I thought was interesting that one was well, yeah. a 6000 yeah, and a 9000 the creator you know absolutely has to have yes, he can do what he wants but yeah we're going to talk about that later <laughs> <laughs> tell tell me about the risk that you guys take when you have to add new material and how much new material are you willing to add to a show because if we're keynoters or trainers and we want to add a new story sometimes we have to think how much new material do i do it it's tricky because i mean as much as you want to evolve and add new stuff you know when you've got tried and true material that works it's hard to step back and try new things or or leave things out and you know we at least have the ability to sandwich some new pieces between ones that we know are going to work so we can go out on stage and have a a whole new thing and we think okay if this doesn't go great at least put something great before and something (laughs) great after it and uh but uh it's always a risk and even you know the the keynote we did the other day was 50% 50% or more very new stuff that we've only done a few times and most of the messaging we'd never done and you know it's it's not the ideal way to do it but we also knew that for this audience for NSA who you know many of them had seen us perform before we knew we had to come with something new and uh, but it was it was a lot of work. We, we, we you even have... you even stepped out to do new stuff for the starfish, the night of a thousand starfish. Yeah. 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 How easy or hard was that to take part of what you knew and and part of what you already do and make it new? It really is a fun exercise. I, I enjoyed that evening because you know it forces you to take a premise and take a different twist on on something and 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 stretch a little bit and and that's that's again where we had certain beats we wanted to hit we didn't know who was going to say what necessarily but we needed to, to the story to progress and you you play off of the audience a bit and each other and 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 roll with it and in the spirit of pulling back the curtain that we'd been working so hard on the keynote that we had kind of ignored the whole starfish idea i kind of saw that so the day of, i mean seriously as we flew here that day we went we're gonna land and we're gonna head straight to that room and do the starfish thing and we have no clue what we're doing well yeah. i don't know so if the most audience... of that was airport air you know we yeah. were just talking and talking and we never sewing starfish on the uh, on the shuttle to the airport well yeah. I, I don't know if the audience <laughs> could see this but all right here's one of the little fine things that i saw because I was right there at the side of the stage. You actually soaked the fish in water. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me and tell the audience the psychology behind actually getting your starfish wet. Because when you shook your hands, come, when we shook hands coming off stage, I went, your hands are really wet. Yeah. yeah. And you wouldn't believe how much discussion went into that. <laughs> <laughs> and still, 10 minutes before yeah. we went on, we're backstage going, do we do soak, we soak them, them or don't we soak them? I, I think if we soak them, it make them look real. It might, and like, nobody's going to think they're real. Yeah. We're just going to soak it's, them and they're going to be ridiculous. It's pretty dark in there. They might buy it. Well, the buy the premise, buy the bit thing, what was really funny is it made it harder for you to handle them mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. and even if the audience didn't believe they were real 
we believed that you believed they were real or that you believed we believed that they were real. <laughs> and, and finally, wow. we just thought, all right, it, I guess it's funnier to have dripping wet starfish right. pretending they're real than to have starfish beanbags. Right. So well, initially, let's just... I thought sand was falling out of it. Okay. And I was thinking, oh, my God, they're going to start throwing these at each other and right. sand will get in their eyes. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. yeah it, it was maybe not the cleverest idea, but it, it actually it played better than we even thought. People came yeah. up afterwards going, I thought those were real starfish. Right. Well, when I pulled the first one out and handed it to John and I heard people go, oh, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> the cute little thing. <laughs> we're in Phoenix, people. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, not a starfish for a thousand miles. Do you think you can actually get a starfish on the airplane? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I the important know. thing is to it mattered to that one person. And it, it, it did. It, it, it just did. That That's the, really the moral. <laughs> symbol crash, Rocky. Could we get a symbol yeah. crash here? And now let's get that second spoonful of the passing zone as we go to their live performance at a night of a thousand starfish. Ladies and gentlemen, the passing zone. Oh, you're you're too kind. That's too much. Wow, they went all out with these wireless mics. I huh? know. The, the starfish story is so important that the, <laughs> they went all out on the lighting, everything. Yeah. All right. It's perfect. Uh, I can hardly see you I from know. here. Yeah, it's that's... perfect uh, juggling conditions. All right. Well, that's all right. We, we, uh, we were very excited about this whole thing when we yeah, heard about it. Totally. Because it's, it's a story about throwing starfish. I mean, that could be better. Yeah, as jugglers, yeah. I mean, that's what we do. We yeah. throw things. And here this kid gets all this attention for throwing like one at a time. One at a time. So we, know, we, can, we can do better than that. Yeah. So, so, so maybe, yeah. yeah, I think. That's pretty weak. Seems you're not trying hard enough at No, that point. exactly. And we, uh, and, and first of all, though, we just want to mention as jugglers, we are a little bit, uh, you know, uh, envious, a little jealous of the starfish. Five arms. Come on. Sweet. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, come on. Five arms. Yeah. And if you happen to cut one off with a chainsaw. Grows right back. Grows back. That's, that is good stuff. I mean, if we had that. Those five-armed bastards. <laughs> yeah, they, exactly. Uh, they're very slow. Yeah, very they are. Slow. Yeah, they're very slow. All right. So, uh, so we decided, all right, yeah, yeah. we're going to juggle starfish right. for all of you today. You know what? It's a little tricky to find starfish in uh, Phoenix. Yes. Especially it's, when it's like 170 outside. Yeah, it's not quite the starfish's uh, ideal climate. So no. we, did, we went to the ocean. Right. And uh, contrary to apparent popular belief. Right. And the stories the, you might have heard. The shores are not strewn with thousands of starfish. Never seen it. Uh, where, it never happens never anywhere. Seen it happen I don't even know yeah. how the story started. Yeah. So anyway. We're looking everywhere for right. starfish to right. juggle. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, off in the distance, yes. we see six starfish. Perfect, the perfect number. And some idiot little girl yeah. has one in her hand and she's about to chuck it out into the ocean. We go, come on, what are you doing? Like, whoa, 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 stop. stop, 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 don't do it. And she's just ready to throw it. And we went running oh. up, we're going, are you, what are you even thinking? She looks at us and she says, are you guys still pissed off that I beat you on America's Got Talent? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A little bitter. Why do you have to bring that up? She has our million and yeah, our starfish. Exactly. So we were. But that doesn't really have a place in the story. No, we're still bitter, though. There's something we're. It just can't. Something we're working through. This is part of our therapy. 12 step programs. Three years later. Yeah, right. But. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so finally we stopped we her. Stop her. Yeah, we yeah. say, don't throw the starfish yeah. back. We need them. We need them. And she's going, well, there are six starfish. Right. What difference does it make if I throw one of them into the ocean? It makes a difference to these jugglers. That's yes. what we tell her. That's you. what we tell her. Yeah. So luckily, we well, got you know, the starfish. But yeah, that's the other thing about juggling starfish. I mean, you juggle 11 starfish with two oh, throws. These, these are the kinds of questions we ask ourselves. Yeah. Very difficult questions. Yeah. yeah. It, it was 11 starfish, starfish for two catches. Yeah. Or do you juggle two starfish for 11 catches? It's just a catch 22. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's impossible. Hard to I know. know. I mean, that's, so what we did. You know what? It's all about keeping it real it's about it? keeping it real that yeah. is the theme all right so we've seen these phony starfish costumes and things there but we have we actually were able to very care carefully yeah we found <laughs> that the six real starfish that we are going to juggle for ouch yeah yeah they we have to worry about like uh, they still eye I, about what about pedi but, oh oh yeah pedi yeah people for the ethical treatment of invertebrates right yeah, very, I know, there's nobody here? No? Good. No, I don't think so. Oh, those, uh, they are no fun at all. All right, this is kind of a mess, these real starfish. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do is we are going to be doing a juggling stunt. Oh, jeez. With, yeah, Ow! careful, they're sharp. They're no, oh, jeez, no! Oh, that's... He bit me! That was not, okay, fine. That was not necessary. Ow, that yeah. is bad. Okay, okay. Walk it off! That's all right. All right, yeah. All right, we don't have time for them to walk it I off. Suppose, okay, no, yeah, that's right. Very, you know how long it takes them to get slow. up there? Right, yeah, very slow. A... So we are going to <laughs> People do... People in the back are going, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. We thought a real starfish. We are... <laughs> We are going to do a juggling stunt yes. with these starfish, right. and we are going to be doing it together. Yes. Thinking all the while, realizing yeah. that there is no eye in starfish. So, that's, or something. There is, there is an eye in starfish. No, no, starfish have no eyes. Oh, they don't have any. That's what I mean. Oh, okay. They, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you were, you were thinking of that old saying, yeah. there is no eye in team building. Yeah, that was that was I'm that's, sure that's, that's the old popular there, one. There is no me and team, is what you were. Oh, that's it. That's what it no is. No me and team. That's Dyslexia, right. Dyslexia. All right. All right. So we we are going to yeah. juggle six real live starfish. Yeah. But we can tell. Possibly go wrong. You you want to see something a little bit more exciting than just juggling, yeah, right? Sure you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to see us do something dangerous, right? Yeah. You want to watch us risk our lives for your amusement, right? That's, what a sick group. They seemed nicer earlier. They did. Yeah. All right, but well, we're ready for this. We have something dangerous. Yeah. We are going to juggle the six starfish, yeah. but this is going to be even more exciting than it sounds. Yeah. We're going to do this while I'm standing balanced up on Owen's shoulders. Right. About, what, 50 oh, or 60. 70? Maybe 80. 110 feet in the air. That's about right. We are way up there. But that's and, not all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to do this better. entire stunt while at the same time balancing up on top of this. Rolla Bola of death. death. Yeah. yeah, it sounds very sad. Should be good. Plus now it's kind of wet. It's kind of wet and slippery, so, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's is, sort of the ideal. This is perfect. We should not have used the real starfish. <laughs> yeah, the real one. Yeah. All right. Uh, oh my oh, gosh. Oh wait, hey, check out. this oh, out. One more we, thing. We just added this to the whole routine. We knew this we had to make crazy it more exciting. Yeah. We're gonna juggle these, do this whole thing while wearing these blindfolds. Oh no! 
No, no, no. Oh, eyes. Oh, what are you talking about? Oh, God, How's that going to work? That would be so hard. You couldn't see any starfish. No, that That's would be crazy. So stupid. Oh my God. Oh, we're not yeah. that good. No way. That is idiotic. Yeah. These are still dangerous. These could chafe if it were to rub right there. Right, right. Yeah. It's still, it's not a natural fiber, so. It's, and with your sensitive skin in. All right. How I is think, this going to work? <laughs> Do you have wireless mics? Oh, these will be good. Yeah. All right. Perfect. All right. Let's I make sure I have enough slack. Owen is nine feet tall, so yeah. I have to make sure I have. Yeah. All right. This could work. Shouldn't oh, you are I... dripping all over the board. Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. All right. All right we let's... really should have rehearsed this. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. All right. Just walk around, man. That's okay, great. Okay, hold on. Are hold those on. your golf shoes? Stop. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not a starfish. Okay. All right. Man. Oh, it is getting wet down there. <laughs> oh man. All right. Two. Okay. Now, folks. Wait. wait no. Wait. 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 No, no, please. No, please. No, no. Hold your applause. Well done. Wow. Wow, that, that, they did that. That they, was like stopping a runaway train. They did it. Yes, they did. All right. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Uh, I'd like to see Dale Irvin and Tim Gard do this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, there you go. Yikes. That, that would be oh something. Oh, my God. C-P-A-E. Yeah. yeah which, whatever. Which one would... <laughs> which one would be on top? Yeah. <laughs> I think we all know. Yeah, I think we, I do. Think we do. All right, let's hit right. it. Here, hit the music. Here we go. All right. <laughs> it's so much Any music fun. over there? Yeah. All right. Uh, one, two, three. Let's, uh, we'll give them one second, then yeah. we'll just start juggling here. Check to see if the cord's still plugged in. <laughs> all right. One, all right. Two, two, three. Let's do it. I'm gonna be a speaking star I'll have to fly first class I'll be smug and coy avoiding eyes as the little people pass cause everyone around must know just who I are baby if I'm gonna be a speaking star okay speaking stars it's time to turn to our resident comedy biologist Ron Culberson and David Glickman to discuss the performance of the passing zone and Ron when we were planning this event Oh, gosh, a year and a half, almost two years ago, you were the one who said the passing zone really needs to be a part of this. Well, and, and interestingly enough, in the sidebar conversation that David and I had, the, the passing zone was a part of the original Aristocrats movie. And I think that for them to be the last act of the evening when we did this at the convention was just sort of the icing on the cake because they had done this as part of the Aristocrats movie. Clearly, uh, the passing zone is not going to convey on radio or on VOE or on CD the way the way um, some of the more verbal because they had some really funny banter, but then the visuals were huge for them because they're 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 the starfish were dripping water, and and they look like they had just pulled them out of an aquarium, and you don't get to witness that, but as they're standing there and water is dripping all over their stand, their, their equipment, and what they're they're getting ready to juggle on. It just added an element of humor 
But then they had to stand on, uh, they stood on each other's shoulders, not on each other's shoulders, that would be impossible, but you know, <laughs> but there, the, the microphones were wired, were corded, so they had to do this in an environment that was totally different, and it created an element of suspense and fear and humor. All right, well, I, I once heard a wise man say, buy the premise, buy the bit. Well, actually, no, it wasn't a wise man. David, you said that a couple <laughs> episodes ago. But the premise of soaking the starfish, they literally took and soaked them in water so they would feel the water. And it made the story come to life. It was the a lot of people had starfish props throughout the evening. Theirs took the cake. Um, the other thing, just for your listeners, because they weren't able to see the actual juggling, I would suggest if they have speakers, they're listening to this through. If they would take that in their living room and juggle those speakers right now, they might get an idea of what the passing zone's <laughs> performance was like. Joe Calloway's back again this month with our segment that we call a category of one. And who do you have for us this month? This month, we truly have a, another category of one. This is Dale Irvin. Um, most NSA members are familiar with Dale from the work that he's done at the conventions for many, many years. Dale is a category of one for a lot of reasons. Uh, in Dale's case, quite literally, nobody else does exactly what he does with his, I don't even know quite what to call it, with his presentations or his work. Yeah, his ability to just cut through whatever is said and find the funny in it. Yeah, and that's the thing that he does. He sits in the back of the room for his corporate clients, listens to what the speakers at the convention say, and then he gets up on stage and it he finds the funny. He, he summarizes, you know, what he's heard, and he just finds the funny. It's remarkable. When people ask you what you do for a living, what do you say? How do you explain it? I tell them that I am a professional summarizer, to which they always follow up and say, what the devil is that? Which is what I want them to say. So uh, I tell them, I, I come to your meeting, I watch everything that you do, I listen to every word uttered by other, every speaker, and then uh, I write a comedy monologue based on what just happened. That replaces my old speech where I just said, I come to your meeting and I mock you because they, they failed to see the value added at first. What, was there, a, was there a, a flashpoint where a light bulb went off and you said, wait a minute, I'm, I'm on to something here? with the summarizing? Well, you know, it's something that I have been doing ever since I was a kid. I mean, I was the kid in the back of the room who would make fun of the teacher. And uh, it's just something that came natural. When I started go coming to NSA conventions, I naturally sat in the back of the room, which is where I met John Patrick Dolan. Uh, and he and I would make fun of the speakers. And it all gelled in 1992. It was a workshop in Atlanta. And um, I got a call from uh, Judy Morio, a uh, speaker uh, currently out of Las Vegas. She said, are you going to the, conve or to the uh, workshop? I said, yes. She would you do me a favor? I'm supposed to go there and uh, announce that they're uh, having a talent show at the convention. And if you want to participate in the talent show, submit a videotape and we'll go over it. And she said, I I'm going to South Africa, so I can't be there. I said, I'd be happy to. How long did they give you to do this? She said, 10 minutes. 
I'm thinking, well, it's not going to take me 10 minutes to send in a videotape. So I filled in the other nine minutes with uh, uh, jokes about what had happened so far at the workshop. And then uh, after that, Sue Hershkowitz came up to me. She said, would you want to do this at the Western workshop? I said, well, you know, at, at the time I was uh, commuting back and forth to New Jersey doing a TV show. And I said, it's a long trip from New Jersey to San Francisco just to do it for 10 minutes. I said, give me, give me 10 minutes at every meal function and I'll do it. And so that's when it all started. And at first I started doing it with NSA and then I was approached by a client that I still have to this day who said we have a problem with uh, with our meetings because it's an incentive meeting. People work hard to get here, but they don't show up to the meeting on time or they leave the general session early to go play golf. I said, well, what we need to do is to make the entire meeting more fun. That's when it all started coming together. For another client, he introduced me as a professional summarizer and I said, I can use that. And so I've been using it ever since, trademarked it just to make sure there's no other ones out there. And um, that's kind of how it all, all fell into place. Do you do, because you used to do quite a few, well, keynotes, a lot of after dinner speeches. Mm-hmm. Do you do many of them? No, I don't. Uh, you know, I found when I started doing that, because that was the normal progression from doing comedy clubs, is to do after dinner and keynote funny speeches. But there's an awful lot of guys who are awfully good at it, much better than I am at doing it. Um, so I developed something where I'm the best one at doing it. So it, it just kind of, you know, now what I do is I throw the speech in kind of as an afterthought, because when people hire me for a convention, they hire me for three or four days, which can get costly on their part. And I said, well, one of the things I can do is fill one of your speaker slots with this lovely speech. Is there anybody else that you know of, I guess there is. I'm not aware of that's actually doing the summarizing thing. Not to my knowledge. Not to my. I've seen people, you know, add bits and pieces of it into their programs. I've seen people uh, tailor events that have happened around the hotel and stuff and add it into their programs. But nobody does just this because of that. Is it because it's a concept people aren't used to? Is it? Is it a tough sell? It's an incredibly tough sell the first time. And, uh, you know, because they, like I said, they say, well, what do you do? And I say, I come and I make fun of you. And they, they don't get it at first. But after they see it, then they see how it reflects on the, on the audience. The audience is all happier. They're laughing. It gives them something else to talk about at the coffee breaks. They stay till the very end of the session because they know that's where the funny is going to be. And uh, so it, it works out well to the point where my uh, repeat uh, percentage now is probably about 85% repeat business. Just thinking about the speaking business in general, what's a mistake that you've seen a lot of speakers, most speakers, many speakers, whatever, make that they, we ought to avoid? What's a common mistake? The most common mistake I see, because I obviously in what I do, I see an awful lot of speakers, and I keep all of the notes that I write on each speaker because for the most part, they don't change their speeches. And so once I write the jokes, the second time I hear them, I don't even have to listen that closely because they don't change their speeches. There are a few, yourself included, who every speech is different, and which makes my job much harder. But, you know, that would be the main thing is, is change it up. Like, like the one guy said at the convention, what, uh, what got you here ain't going to get you there. It, you got to change things up and, and stay relevant. All right, let's stay with that for a second. What, what do you need to get better at? I need to get better at, um, oh boy, that's a, that's a darn good question. I don't know. I, I, I guess just, uh, you know, 
working on the on the marketing part of, of my thing because like I said I, I don't market I don't really uh, I, I, I have no no marketing tool to to, uh, to hire me you've got to see me and I will do uh, you know showcases for meeting planners and things like that but to, in order to get what I do you've got to see me because I can't describe it so well that opens up a hot button of mine which is so many speakers think it's about the marketing I think it's about what you do on stage Mm-hmm. If that is your marketing, mm-hmm. where do you come down on that? I absolutely. First, you know, be, before you even start marketing, you better make sure you're good, and then once you're good, you better make sure you get better each and every time. Because if you get better, people are going to find you. You know, people who have never heard of me have been told about me by other people, and and they will find you because I've gotten to the point where you know each program I try to make better than the last. But there are speakers listening to this right now who are saying, no, 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 Dale, that's not my problem. I'm good. I'm really good. It's just that nobody's hiring me. <laughs> well, then I would suggest of taking a good look at that speech and figuring out how you can make it better. Because, you know, a good speaker will make X amount of dollars. A great speaker will make two or three X. <laughs> Oh, we all want that two or three, three X amount of dollars. <laughs> because there will be some shrinking after laundry. Yeah, you know? Exactly. What would cause you to and there may be nothing you might take any job but what would cause you to say no to a client who says we're offering you the job and it's full fee and everything on paper it's great but you would say no i don't want to do that of probably location I, 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 I do programs in Europe I do them all over the North America I'm not real crazy about traveling to Asia and I've been there they're lovely audiences it's just too far for me to go I don't I don't like riding on a plane that long yeah. so it'd probably be it would probably be the uh, you know the uh, location of the meeting what are some of the dumbest moves you've made in your career how long is this program? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we may do a separate volume just just with this. Of the, Stuff you've tried that just it didn't work or bad strategic move or whatever. You know, well, there's a lot of, you know, since I, I write all these jokes and deliver them instantaneously, I have no way of trying them out ahead of time. So I've pretty much got to go with my gut instinct of what I think is funny. And what I think is funny, other people don't always think is funny. And uh, so, you know, after watching uh, years of Johnny Carson, I've learned that savers are very important. You know, Johnny Carson was a master. He would get more laughs on a bad joke than he got on a good joke. And I, I learned a lot by uh, by watching him over the years. I also learned a lot by watching uh, Steve Allen, who was the master of, uh, of both uh, improvisational uh, skills and improvisational comedy. And Steve was funny to the point where if he said something that made him laugh, he laughed. I mean, he just cracked himself up. And, and that, uh, that also gets to the audience. Because I tell people a lot, you know, I, I will laugh at my own stuff when I'm doing it because it's the first time I'm hearing it too. <laughs> <laughs> if you describe or explain your business model do you, i mean do you have product to what's your business model yeah I don't, I don't even know if i have one uh yeah i do have uh, i do have product i have written books and stuff and uh but i i, I don't know if i have a business model uh, it's i you know i i uh, go out and do these programs and and i try and uh, and you know sell them to other people but i, I don't have a, a i guess my big problem is that i never got into this business for the money um, it you know I've never really been been motivated by money, uh, but weird thing is is that the better that you get, 
the more people are willing to give you money. And so it, you know, it's developed to the point where now they, they give me a whole lot of money, but it's still not my motivating factor. My motivating factor is just to go out and have fun. And, and the reason why I love the speaking business is not necessarily the, the, the income that it generates, but it allows me, it gives me one thing that money cannot buy me more of, and that's free time. I cherish my leisure time. I love it. Who's somebody, now you mentioned Steve Allen, Johnny Carson, in the entertainment business. Who's somebody in, you know, what we call the speaking business or some people in the speaking business that maybe do nothing like what you do, but that have been influences, role models, you look at them and think they're, they're good. There's somebody I want to pay First guy to. I ever saw do, you know, something similar to what I do is Bob Murphy. And Bob would watch everything, and that's how he would always start out his speech with comments about what happened, uh, you know, up to that point at the convention, and then launch into his speech. But yeah, he was—he's about the only one that I've ever seen that uh, that did something like that. And when I first time I saw him speak, I go, "That's cool. I, I think I can do that." I've you and I have have done jobs together, and, and I've sat in the back of the room with you at NSA and kind of watched the wheels turn. Talk a little about the process, not that you can necessarily necessarily explain it, but talk about the process that you go through when you're listening to the speaker on stage and you're looking for your material. How does that work? I am listening, and I, and I listen differently when I'm working than if I am just enjoying a speaker. So it's a completely different listening process. But I'm listening for uh, things that they say that um, either are funny or will lead me in, you know, they, they instantly click with something, a road that I can go down and, and make it funny. I'm listening to them make uh, mistakes, obviously, and, uh, and listening to a little incongruencies in their speech that will, uh, you know, at first seem like they they make sense, but when you listen to them, you know it can be a twisted and expanded and exaggerated into something that's funny. But it, it, it's a it's an ongoing. It you know it works now almost instantaneously. And I tell people they say, well, how can you do it so fast? And I, and I use the analogy of uh, just about anybody can run or walk a mile. But in order to do that under four minutes, you've got to practice and practice and constantly get better. And that's kind of what I've done. I, I practice daily. I mean, I write jokes every single day. I read the newspaper, and uh, before I even have breakfast, I've written three or four jokes, which I may or may not ever use. But to me, they're funny. You know, I'll, I'll, use, them, I'll use them on my wife, and, and she'll normally say, uh, here's your breakfast. <laughs> But but I, I, I do it constantly. Everywhere I go, I'm looking for something that's funny. I'm constantly on the lookout for funny signs, funny buildings, funny people. Just the whole world to me is a punchline waiting to happen. This month on Ones to Watch with Jane Atkinson. Jane, you are watching Tony Newman, uh, a fellow Canadian for you. What is it that strikes you about Tony Newman that makes her one to watch? Well, you know, her angle is innovation as a competitive advantage. And a lot of people might choose, okay, innovation is my lane, but she expanded it right out to innovation as a competitive advantage to show what the outcome is for her audiences. And clients love her, and I've really watched her career develop over the last three years. And, um, you know, she's hit several flashpoints along the way, and she is just going gangbusters. Although it's interesting because as we talk to her, it sounds like like many speakers, she went through some trials and tribulations early on. Absolutely. People have to go through the path that they have to go through to get there. And uh, she's just done a really terrific job. 
I had come into the speaking business having already run another business. And so I did what I had done with my first business. I went out and I did my research and I did my homework and I spoke to a lot of people and um, found out that it would probably take three to five years to get a speaking business off the ground. And I nodded politely to everybody as I thought that that wasn't going to be the case for me because <laughs> I had already run a business and I knew how this was going to go and much to my surprise um, during the first year I got a major reality check about the fact that there is just um, it takes time and you can do your homework and you you can come to NSA and go to CAPS and speak to people and learn and learn and learn but this is a business and and you have just got to give it the time that it takes to get your feet on the ground and uh, allow momentum to move you forward so it was a very surprising year. <laughs> humbling. humbling humbling would be a better word even so you've hit several flashpoints in your career, new levels where you've gone up, gone yeah. up again. What would you attribute those to? I have always been really focused on what I do. I, I speak on innovation as a competitive advantage. And from the very beginning, I, uh, as my good friend Joe Calloway would say, I picked a lane. And my lane was going to be innovation. And um, I wanted to stray off that lane sometimes, but you know the way I put it to people is I only know how to do one thing. So I, I chose what I was going to speak about. I, I chose. I felt I had credibility in it. I had history in that, um, and I, I had expertise in that. And I really chose just to do that. And over the years, I think those flashpoints have come from not straying from my focus and building my expertise deep as opposed to wide. Okay, so innovation is your yeah. lane. You've always yeah, known that. It's my that's my passion. That's obviously something that's very, very important and yeah. helpful for speakers. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you demonstrate innovation from the standpoint of your on the platform. That's a great question that I struggle with a lot. Um, I think, and this is going to sound strange, but I think the most innovative thing that I do is I don't try to be anybody else that make any sense? Yes. It, it's, I have really learned what is unique about me. Um, I watched all the masters. I've learned. I've, 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 but I've never tried to copy them. For me, the definition of innovation is it's got to surprise people. So it's got to catch their attention. But it's also got to be strategic. It's not about being different for the sake of being different. Mm. So on the platform, I'm constantly looking at what's the strategic objective I want to accomplish and how can I do that by being different. So a little example is I, I open my presentation seated at the top of a five-foot ladder, red ladder. I travel with the, my ladder <laughs> to make sure that my ladder is my ladder and that it doesn't, you know, that it's mine. And that ladder has taken on a life of its own. Oh. Um, so I guess what I try to say to people is being innovative doesn't mean you need to spend tens of thousands of dollars on video and technology and all that stuff. It's to take who you are. I love to laugh. We, we, we have a lot of laughter in what I do. And so I really build on that um, and, and try to do different things. What do you think the best investment you've made in your career has been? The best thing that I did was joining CAPS. Um, I got into the business in February of 2003. I was a member by uh, March 
of 2003. Not only did I become a member, I got involved. Um, I hired coaches. Um, I um, came to NSA that very first uh, that first summer. It was surrounding myself with people who knew what they were doing and asking the tough questions. Um, so, so really just being surrounded by people. And, and for those who are listening to this who aren't members of NSA or CAPS, it's not enough to become a member. It's then being involved and having access to the, to the incredible expertise that there is here surrounding and, us. And you did a great job uh, of that through your chapter. You really got yourself connected. And I Very would say connected. that's been something that you've done extremely well. Yeah. Uh, what would you say your most misspent or biggest lesson when it comes to investing in your business has been? Whether it was misspent money or misspent time or misspent energy, they're all the same to me. And I think that I misspent at the beginning by assuming that if an expert told me I needed to do something, that that was really what I needed to do. So in those first couple of years where people would say, you got to write a book or you got to do this or you got to have product or you got to do this. And then I would go home and I would get all frustrated about it and I'd put myself into a tailspin. No, that was misspent energy. What I needed to do was create the business model that was going to work for me based on what I know how to do, who I am, and the value that I need to bring to my marketplace. And and that was it. So there's a lot of stuff out there that um, I wasted a lot of time on it and and just not a good investment of time. Why do you think your clients love you so much? What they tell me um, is that my stuff works. So there are a lot of people out there, a lot of speakers out there, a lot of consultants out there doing all kinds of things on different topics. Because I come from a place of what I know how to do um, and I, I, I just don't follow a whole lot of rules. So I think I model what I do. That would be one. I model it. And, and when I ask them, because I do ask my clients, what, why do you come back? Why do you hire me? And they say, look, we have a good time and your stuff works. What, what more is there? Sometimes they have a good time, but the stuff doesn't the work. The stuff so. doesn't work, so <laughs> I'm real go. good. We laugh a lot. The stuff works. They walk away knowing what they need to do next. Awesome. So... Innovation as a competitive advantage yeah. is Tony Newman. What's coming down the tubes for you in the future? The most exciting thing for me um, is that the model has grown in depth. So in that um, context of innovation, I've managed to create a business model based on four pillars, and each of those pillars has possibilities for product and books and all the stuff that people told me I needed to do five years ago that I wasted some time on because I wasn't ready to do it yet. Mm. Now I'm ready. Now I have the expertise. Now I have the proof that the stuff works. And so the books and the audio programs and all those products and, and um, everybody should feel free to hold me accountable. So if you see me in the hall, please come up and ask me if I've done it yet. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I think it's also inspirational for people to hear that you need to do it when you're ready when to do you're it. you're ready. If you force a book out of you before you're ready, then it may be... There is nothing greater than knowing that you are at the point when you are ready to do it. And when you're ready to do it, it comes out of you in a flash. As we continue to profile speakers who make a difference offstage, Renee Godfroy speaks with Elaine Dumlar. 
who has answered the calling to help U.S. military families with loved ones serving overseas. Why do you think it is important for speakers to make a difference offstage? Well, I think it's our responsibility. I mean, we have a collective voice and a lot of influence. We should be an example to others by our actions, and when they follow our lead, our reach can be extended. What we choose to do for a living has given us a great life, and it's only right to give some of that back. What are you doing to make a difference of stage yourself? As a military speaker and writer, I specialize in deployment separation issues and how the families can stay connected and strong. I began offering my time and resources to organizations that support these families. But then about eight years ago, I started a special project called Flat Daddy in conjunction with SFC Graphics in Toledo, Ohio, who makes them for me. Now, Flat Daddy is a life-size, waist-up photo of a deployed serviceman or woman mounted to a foam board that bookmarks the place of someone who's been deployed. A flat daddy can sit at the dinner table, travel to places with the family, and, as one wife put it, lets me see his life-size smile. Now, while it may sound like just sort of a fun kind of gimmick, I have to tell you that it really did have a very serious start. Hmm. How did that come about? When I wrote my first book of connection ideas for the military families, I interviewed about 600 family members. And one of those was Cindy, who was concerned that her daughter Sarah, who had just turned one, wouldn't recognize her dad when he returned from Iraq almost two years from that point. Now that was back when deployments were actually exceeding 12 months. She told me how she had made this flat daddy figure of her husband who was dressed in the uniform that he would return in to help Sarah connect with him when he came back. But in the meantime, flat daddy went on adventures with them. The kicker was that when her husband returned, Cindy called to tell me that Sarah was the only youngster who ran down the jetway and grabbed onto her dad because she knew who he was. So it really worked to create that connection piece. So I had a flat daddy made for me and have been traveling to bases and posts telling them about this idea and then coordinating funding to put them into military households for free to the family. Now with the graphics company, we have provided over 8,500 to families who have requested one. And let me tell you, we see some great pictures and hear some wonderful stories. And we're making a difference in helping others to make a difference also by allowing them to donate. All right. Do you have any suggestions for those of us who are trying to find a way to reach out and make a difference of stage? First, discover what you're passionate about because that leads to passionate giving. What's going on in the world that makes a difference to you? And then look at what's already being done to help and search your heart to find out how you can be a part of that. Learn what's still needed from you, whether it's funding, speaking, or sharing your time. It's been my experience that when you open yourself up to listen to where you're needed, it just kind of shows up, and sometimes in very unexpected ways. Share with us some insights about how we can choose and how and where to give. Tell us what we can do. Pretty much, I've followed the path that I encourage others to follow. First, I found that my passion was helping our military families in any way that I could beyond just writing and speaking. Next, I decided that each fiscal quarter, I would allocate 10% of my income to projects or organizations that supported those families. And then just cool things began to happen. 
I heard about groups out there making the families better, like Project Sanctuary, and even a unit's family readiness group that was having a fundraiser. And for the first time, I had resources to send, and it really felt wonderful. Now, through this, the Free Flat Daddy Project emerged, which now allows other people to help military families through me and the Operation Connect a Family website that we set up. So the whole thing comes full circle. Any final thoughts? Look into your heart and find where you want to make your difference. Even a small donation of your time or resources can grow when combined with the help of others, and it can make a huge difference. Speaking of doing good works off stage, let's talk about ways that we can all help by giving to the NSA Foundation, which helps speakers who need financial help because of catastrophic illness or catastrophic disaster. We have two fundraising events at the NSA convention in Orlando. The first is the Foundation Benefit Seminar on Saturday, July 17th from 9 until noon, featuring Nito Cobain, Marjorie Brody, Stephen Tweed, and Don Hudson. Then on Sunday evening, join us at Orlando's NBA City for the Foundation Dinner. Serving as special host will be NSA members and former NBA basketball players Mark Eaton and Walter Bond. Registration details for the seminar and the dinner are online at nsaspeaker.org. It's time to get your to-do list ready. Our panel of experts has a new list of little steps that you can take to advance your product development, social media, writing, and business strategies as we break big tasks into little actionable items on If You Could Do Just One Thing This Month. Hi, this is Bill Cates. If there's one thing you could do this month to create multiple streams of income, it would be to host one or more boot camps per year. We call our events boot camps because individual financial professionals pay their own way to come to Maryland to roll up their sleeves and to do some serious work to master my system. You should name your event appropriately to your niche and your personality. Bill Backrack calls his the Trusted Advisor Academy. Some experts label their event a symposium, executive retreat, etc. You've probably already heard of Tom Antion's butt camp. Yes, I said butt camp, not boot camp. Obviously, this is a play on words that fits Tom's playful personality. I started our boot camps about 10 years ago as a way to deliver value and generate income without having to travel on an airplane. We've experimented with hosting some events in different cities, but that hasn't worked too well for us. So, no more. We're keeping them local for a foreseeable future. But that doesn't mean you have to. Although I'd coach you to start with a local event until you work through the bugs, I've seen examples of experts host their events at resorts and even on cruise ships. As always, the event must match your market. Your event can be one day, two days, or more. Ours is a one and a half day event, a full day on a Thursday, and a half day on a Friday. This allows most people to be home with their families by Friday evening. Some markets prefer during the week, while others prefer over a weekend. You'll have to figure out which best suits your market. If you're not sure, ask some of your clients. Tell them what you have in mind and see what they say. But ask enough of them to get a representative sampling. Don't just get one or two opinions. Gather a lot. The key to filling your boot camp is your own mailing list. Sending emails or mailings to people who already know and enjoy hearing from you. Using direct mail to try to attract people who don't know you is expensive and risky. I don't recommend it, at least not at the start. 
Also, understand that your profit from the boot camp is not just the net revenue you generate from the event itself. It's also additional revenue that can be created as a result of your boot camp. For instance, I almost always land two to three speaking engagements from my boot camp. People who attend recommend me to folks in their organization, which turns into speaking. And one of my largest licensing deals ever all started with an attendee at one of our boot camps. As I've mentioned in previous segments, finding multiple ways to interact and serve your clients creates a synergy that produces results far beyond what any one activity can produce. In my final segment for VOE, I'll be covering some ideas about how you can clone yourself to serve more clients and generate more revenue. This has been Bill Cates. Thanks for listening. Now go do something that produces a result. I'm Chris Clark Epstein, and it's time to talk about writing. Earlier in this series, I suggested that you get and read Stephen King's book on writing. If you followed instructions, you might remember his comment, quote, if you want to be a good writer, you have to be a voracious reader, end quote. If King isn't an authority figure for you, here's what NSA's own Lou Heckler says, quote, read good fiction. We're in the business of words, end quote. I don't know about you, but I always do what Lou says. So what are your reading habits? I cringe every time I hear a business person talk about reading fiction as a long discarded luxury. I have heart palpitations when I hear a speaker express the same sentiment. Call 911 when a writer heads down that path. When a writer isn't writing, they ought to be reading. Standing in line, sitting on the tarmac, waiting on hold are all perfect times to devour a few paragraphs, or if you're fast, a few pages. Why? Writers read to find out why one book on a subject captures their attention and another doesn't. To discover what makes one description keep you riveted to a page and another forces you to skip ahead. Speakers should read for the same reasons and the best of these lessons will come from fiction. Writers and speakers read to experience ideas expressed in engaging ways, hear stories that transform lives, and for the opportunity to hear words sing. Since only writing will make you a better writer, open your notebook for this month's assignment. We're going on a field trip. Block off a few hours, pack up your notebook, and head to your favorite bookstore. The cafe type works best. First, you're going on a book hunt. You're looking for 12 books, ones you haven't looked at before. Six fiction, any genre will do. Three memoir, three biographies. You can pick them up from the bestsellers racks or hunt through the stacks. Ask a bookseller for help or create a solo adventure. Work to choose books you would not normally gravitate toward. Now, head over to the cafe, order your favorite drink, and settle in. Your task is to read at least two pages in each of the books you've selected. At the end of each book sampling, list the book title and the author in your notebook and answer these questions. 1. What engaged you about this book? 2. What made reading this book difficult? Be honest, it may be more about you as the reader than the writer. Three, what did you learn from your time with this book? Almost done. Two more things. First, you have to put all the books back in their rightful place. Small price to pay for the wonderful lessons you've just learned. But before you put them back, pick one that you're going to buy and read. No, I'm not kidding. Do it. You'll make Stephen, Lou, and me so proud. 
It's been terrific spending this time with you. I'd love to hear how your writing skills and attitudes are being shaped by these segments. Drop me an email at chris at change101.com. I'll write you back. Ford Sakes here. What's the one thing you could do this month to help you monetize your social media and marketing? Let's talk about YouTube.com. As a professional speaker, using video to showcase your talent and help you position yourself as the expert has never been easier. There are hundreds of other video sharing sites out there, all with specific purposes and target viewers. But for this VOE segment, I'm just going to focus on YouTube.com. But these same strategies would also be relevant for other video sharing content sites like wonderhowto.com, vimeo.com, ehow.com, there's metacafe.com, blip tv, facebook videos and several others. Now okay, back to youtube.com. Go to youtube and search for your name. See if any footage of you comes up, either from your channel from videos that you've uploaded before or from other people's channels that have posted video footage of one of your presentations. Now you may want to contact them to remove the content or maybe you want to make that a favorite by clicking on the favorite button under that video. If you have videos on your YouTube channel, now channel is the same thing as your account, and your videos don't come up in the search results, it's most likely because you didn't title, describe, and tag your video properly with your name and targeted keywords. Now I spoke about keywords on a previous VOE, so if you're lost, just go back and listen to that segment again. Now this is important. Google owns YouTube. Your video title, video description, and your video tags are what YouTube looks at to determine the search results. And not just on YouTube, but on Google search engine too. The video tags that you enter need to be separated with quotes if you use multiple words. And tags are what tells YouTube which videos show up at the end of a video that just got watched. Now you've seen it, you watch a video clip and then at the end it says, hey, these are some suggested clips. Well, that list comes from tags. So think carefully before you tag your video or you may encourage your competition's videos to show up after yours. But it works both ways. Your videos, when tagged properly, may show up after theirs. Oh, and one last thing, if you're thinking about stuffing your descriptions and tags with other people's names or your competitors, don't. Beyond the unethical and bad karma effects, it can also get your account banned. If you want to check out my channel, you can visit youtube.com forward slash prime underscore concepts. I'm Ford Sakes, reminding you to take action every day on your outbound marketing efforts. Hello, friends. It's Mike Rayburn again. You know, if I had to name the one business strategy, which has been most integral to any success I've had for the past 22 years, it would be this, showcasing. A showcase is where you and anywhere from four to 20 other speakers get the chance to do a short, usually 15 to 20 minute version of your presentation in front of an audience of potential clients. They're usually set up by either speakers bureaus or uh, MPI, which is Meeting Professionals International, Societies of Association Executives, IASB, people who book speakers. For the clients, it's a chance to review a bunch of speakers beyond just the video and in essence, try before you buy. For the speaker, it's a chance to show what you do in front of people who are ready to book you. 
Now, let's assume you have the opportunity to showcase. Let me share some do's and don'ts. Number one, when you get up there, don't tell them what you do, do it. Pretend you've been booked for a full fee to do a 15-minute presentation. What would you do? Don't get up there and say, well, if you book me, I'll do this and some of that. And no, just do your program. Number two, spend lots of time planning, writing, rewriting, rehearsing, timing, and even visualizing your showcase. This is your day in court, so make it count. Do not assume you can just wing it. I've spent as much as six weeks preparing for a 15-minute showcase. Number three, make it hard-hitting and use your best stuff. Shorten your stories and points for the, just the best moments. One short, strong point is better than three weak ones. Number four, remember that 13 to 14 minutes of material you've timed out and rehearsed will take 15 minutes in a showcase. Leave time for audience reaction and not feeling rushed. And number five, Winston Churchill once said, if you want me to speak for an hour, introduce me now. If you want me to speak for three minutes, give me a month to prepare. Wise words for showcasing. And finally, to find showcases, begin calling around and asking other speakers, speakers' bureaus, meeting planners, etc. And remember, there are some showcases you have to pay for, so check with other speakers to be sure it's legitimate with real potential clients, because there are some scams out there. Hey, again, I hope this has been helpful, and I'll see you next month. Let me add one other thing that you could do this month if you've not done so already. Make sure that you're registered for the NSA Summer Convention July 17th through 20th in Orlando, Florida. I know some of you wouldn't miss this event for anything in the world, but I also know some of you are on the fence. Business has been off, revenue has been down, and you're not sure if you should spend the money. Well, the best, most profitable speakers in NSA are the ones who invest annually in their career, and that is certainly what the Summer Convention is all about. You'll hear great motivational speakers who will lift your spirits and help you imagine the endless possibilities that await you. You'll hear from experts with hard-hitting content to help you conquer whatever professional challenges you face. I can tell you this, if you stay at home, you learn nothing. If you join us in Orlando, one ounce of wisdom could unlock the doors for great fortune in the future. Don't stay at home and imagine what your career could be. Join us in Orlando so we can take you to new heights, perhaps higher than you could ever imagine. Registration details are online now at nsaspeaker.org. And speaking of imagine, the man who uttered those words on the stage at the end of last summer's convention and challenged us to imagine what our careers could be is NSA President Phil Van Hooser, who joins me now. Phil, you have been spreading the Imagine message to chapters all across America, as well as to our international partners. Rumor has it that one of the airline magazines says that you have traveled so much this year that they have bestowed upon you not platinum status, but you've received the elusive plutonium medallion status, after which if you go any higher, you just melt down. Well, well, Jared, thanks for those encouraging words. We all should have a goal to shoot for, right? True. But you're right. There has been a lot of travel, but it's not quite as bad as you've made it sound. At least not yet. Okay, so I exaggerate a little bit. But as you and I have attempted to connect by phone and email at all kinds of odd hours of the day and night, I find that you're often in some faraway corner of the country or the globe. So tell the audience, where have your presidential travels taken you as the official ambassador of Imagine? To date, 
I've made presidential leadership visits to about two dozen of the NSA chapters. On top of that, I've had the good fortune to represent NSA outside the boundaries of our United States at conventions hosted by our Global Speakers Federation colleagues in Germany, England, Canada, Holland, Australia, South Africa, Singapore, and even Malaysia. Wow. That's a lot of airline peanuts. Has it been worth it? It absolutely has. The generosity and hospitality I have received from NSA chapter members around the United States, along with that of our international brothers and sisters, has been nothing short of amazing. During these visits and interactions, I've been reminded again and again just how much speaking talent there is scattered around the globe. That observation alone has invigorated me, and it makes me want to see NSA and all of our GSF member countries get bigger, better, and more widely dispersed. So has there been one of those aha moments along the way that really stands out from the rest? Well, I'm, I'm sure there have been, maybe even many. How could you be exposed to new people, places, and ideas without having your mind expanded? But if I had to narrow it down to just one, I think that one aha moment for me might be this. In my very first international visit, I traveled to Germany to participate in the German Speakers Association Convention. For three days, I met and interacted with my speaking colleagues from, well, from Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, but also guests that were there from Holland, France, Italy, and so on. Despite the fact that we all spoke different languages and presented with different accents, every person I met shared the common goal of connecting with their audiences and sharing information that would make a real difference in those lives. Jared, I came away amazed by the realization that, that our founder, NSA founder Cavett Robert, and those original 39 members who founded NSA, we're absolutely right. The professional speaking pie continues to get bigger and better for all of us as it encompasses the diversity and the flavor of the domestic and international ingredients. Jared, I still believe that we are blessed to be part of what I think is the greatest industry on earth. Well, it's time for me to wrap up another show, duplicate a few thousand CDs, then stuff them into the Speaker magazine before I drag it all down to the post office for you. As I look at the calendar, I realize the summer convention will be here in just six weeks, and I have one last show to record for you. Plus, I need to start backing for the convention. So this is Jared Bro saying I look forward to talking to you on our final VOE next month and then seeing you in Orlando as we all open our minds to the endless possibilities and as together we imagine. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.